Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter, a weekly email that covers important shifts in the marketing technology industry. People who work in the world's largest media tech and marketing companies read it. You can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Well, welcome back to 2023, and this is a our first episode of Making Sense of MarTech, and I'm very excited to be kicking off the year with Amanda Natividad. So Amanda is the VP of Marketing at SparkToro, an independent audience research company uh, levering social media content, SEO, to help brands figure out what content their customers are consuming, who's influencing them, and where they're spending time online. Now, Amanda, you may have seen her on Twitter. She's got quite the following, but she has a long and storied career in marketing, heading up B2B content at Fitbit, along with a number of senior appointments at technology companies. Amanda also runs Content Marketing 201. It's a cohort-based course that goes deeper into SEO and into personas and the demographics to really understand and help people figure out how to best create content that connects with audiences. And so Amanda also worked in tech journalism for quite a while. And she was also a test kitchen cook. So if you go check out her newsletter, she's got some awesome recipes. I mean, we just spent a bit of time talking about that as well. But Amanda, thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's get into what you're doing with SparkToro. Before we get there, I would love to learn a bit about, well, you've been in marketing for quite a while now. I mean, what keeps you in it and what keeps you thriving in the role? Yeah, so I, you know, I it's funny. I never really intended to become a marketer. Right. I went to college thinking I was going to become a journalist. I got into journalism and I was just so set on that kind of career. But along the way, it was mostly that I I thought I was going to become a food writer. Like I thought I was going to turn my journalism career into a food writing career. And then from there, sort of stumbled into content marketing. And that was when I learned, like, oh, you can I could kind of be a food writer. Like if I find a job at a food company, like a food tech company, I can run their blog. And that's kind of like being a food writer. So that was sort of my first entry into marketing. And from there, like once I kind of had that sort of dream job, right, of being a food writer, um, I started to realize like, oh, maybe I didn't want to be a food writer, right? It was just sort of like, what, once you're doing the thing you you set out to do, it sort of feels like, okay, what's next? And that was when I really realized that I really liked B2B marketing. Like I was just really interested in marketing to other businesses um, and what felt to me like having a bigger impact per campaign, right? Instead of like, you know, I, I and my, my foray from going from B2C marketing into B2B marketing was going from marketing snacks to marketing <laughs> corporate wellness software. So I, I ended up feeling like it was more fulfilling to optimize campaigns so that we could sell, you know, like hundreds of Fitbit devices and mm. software and help people get healthier. Like that was more fun to me to optimize than to optimize like ad copy for a Facebook ad so that we could get, you know, return on ad spend of $5. <laughs> It's an interesting point you raised there where um, B2B content seems to be more long form and reader focused, right? Compared to say B2C content um, in a lot of ways, as you mentioned, like there's um, ad copy because, you know, you're working say with a D2C snack company, but if you're working with say Fitbit and you're, you're selling, yeah, wellness programs and um, technology for businesses, 
yeah, their content is deeper, right? Or it's more focusing on, say, um, a business problem as opposed to a customer problem. Yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting shift. I mean, but like what keeps you in? I mean, your following on Twitter is quite large, but I mean, you've been obviously really working hard to figure out, you know, and help others actually figure out how to create great content that resonates with audiences. I mean, you must love writing. Uh, that's probably the first thing. But um, but what, what else keeps you in the role? Um, I, I really like helping people at scale. I really like helping people do better marketing. Um, I really love the people I work with at SparkToro. So that, I mean, it's it's it doesn't feel so much like work when you really enjoy working alongside the people that you work with. Um, and I think all I think it's also just that the way that we do marketing at SparkToro, the way that we run the company, it's very much in line with my own philosophies. So it just feels like that we get to, kind of spread the word on the way we like to do business, the way we like to market to people, the way we like to treat people and the way we want to be treated by other marketers. So it just feels like getting to be getting to make an impact on those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Content at the end of the day helps people, you know, like, uh, and so particularly with like SEO optimized content, it has to be very helpful, practical to help people find things, you know, like one thing that I often um, hate about what SEO has done to some content is uh, recipes, right? We were talking about recipes before, but you know, um, you know, you, you go and you're trying to find a recipe, you search Google, and then you have to read the person's damn life story <laughs> before you actually get to the ingredients list, you know? And I'm like, that is, uh, the recipe is helpful, but the life story I could probably do without that, you know? And so I can see what you're saying in that, you know, Spark Toro, um, it, it, it's a very interesting platform for helping marketers really get to what's going to be resonating for their audiences, but perhaps you can um, open it up for our audience and introduce what the actual, the product actually does. Um, yeah. So and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. So our product is, you know, we, we create tools to help people do audience research and, you know, we have a number of free tools, like one, like ones to help you audit how many fake followers you might have on Twitter. We have one that tracks what's trending on marketing Twitter um, and then we also have, you know, of course, our paid tool, right? SparkToro.com, where you can run searches or queries based on things that your audience might public might might publicly do or self-describe online. So you can search for things like my audience uses the words in this profile. Um, sorry, my audience uses these words in their profile, B2B marketing director, right? So then you can you can ostensibly get the data on people who self-describe as B2B marketing director. And from there, you can see the social accounts they follow, the topics they talk about publicly online, the podcasts they listen to, YouTube channels they subscribe to, and pretty soon the newsletters that they subscribe to. So these are all the things that would help you as a marketer who's marketing to this audience um, paint a better holistic picture of who your audience is, what they care about, what they're influenced by, what they're interested in, right? All these things that, you know, really like big tech knows about us, but they don't tell us and probably can't tell us even if they wanted to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's funny, right? Because like for marketing, um, when it comes to like audience research, like those questions, like understanding what kind of content is resonating with an audience or, you know, uh, who has say a B2B director of, uh, of marketing in their profile, you know, those questions are really interesting, but you know, most marketing data, like research audience data is 
sketchy, sketchy at best. I would say sketchy at best. It's mm-hmm. it's an industry filled with like dubious panels and surveys with not a lot of science. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I've certainly seen a lot of surveys where they're drawing conclusions from like less than a hundred people in a in a panel survey. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, you probably need to increase that number by a quite a lot to actually make those insights to make some sort of obviously some conclusions from that kind of research. Right. Well, not and, not to mention too all yeah. the the pay to play aspect from some of the top researcher analyst firms, right? Where yeah. they essentially go to you and say, hey, we're doing a report on, you know, the top social media companies and we'd like to include you as one of the emerging platforms, but we will do it for a fee, right? And it's, yeah. and it's you know, it's not like, it's not cheap. It's often like a five figure type of fee where you're paying to be included and well, one, that's bad enough, but then two, it's much worse for smaller businesses where like, obviously, you know, if you're an analyst doing a report on top social media channels, you obviously have to include Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn because duh, right? But then for some of the emerging ones, the ones that are, we don't know how how influential they are, like Be Real, for instance, you know, they might go to someone like a Be Real and say, well, if you want to be included, you have to pay where they wouldn't make the same ask to a Facebook or Twitter, maybe not Twitter, but a Facebook, for instance, who could afford it. So it's all just kind of a really messed up sort of world. And it's not common knowledge. Yeah, it's bad incentives. It's bad incentives. And and, and I think that you're spot on when you say that, you know, it leaves out emerging companies and startups because the it's you know this is a challenge like uh, draw poleg actually he's a he's a writer he's an author a commentator in like um real estate society and tech um he would say that you know the web the internet creates this environment of the one percenters right where like the majority of influence and attention is drawn towards a very small group of people a very small group of companies right because that's just the laws of scalability right like it's the ability to scale information scale influence you know and what it does is it makes it really hard for small businesses to to find that influence without having a huge multi-million dollar marketing budget for those kinds of things right for like market research reports or even say like vendor white papers as well right like a lot of vendor white papers they would ask say a technology company to pay say 25 to fifty thousand dollars in some cases just to get a say 10 page white paper done on a piece of research that they're interested in you know so i think it's i think it's so exclusionary and there's so much there that can be innovated in terms of just making it more accessible to businesses uh, so it's a great point you raise amanda but i would love to know i mean SparkToro does a whole bunch of really interesting work and that's a big focus for you guys is that focusing on the small business or the small to medium enterprise companies that don't have that massive budget. I mean, can you tell us, I guess, what's the difference between say audience research instead of market research? I mean, there's a massive difference there. Like I think one of them is very focused on who your actual audience is. The other one is more about the broader market, but what are the tools, I guess, maybe we can go a bit deeper into SparkToro's tool set and how it helps marketers get that audience insight that they need or if there's any stories as well from your from your customer base yeah well i would say audience research is it hits closer to home for marketers right where a marketer might they might want or need a market research report to better understand their whole industry as a whole right or to understand the whole kind of market opportunity like Mm. the the kind of the big picture ballpark kind of thing but then that market that marketing team would need to do audience research 
to really understand how to reach their audience, who the viable audience is, right? And and doing audience research helps you find out things like anything from, okay, I have maybe these SEO driven topics, but what style do I write it in? Am I writing about this topic through for, for an expert audience or is this for a beginner audience? Audience research can give you clues that help you inform that decision, or it'll help you understand, okay, like maybe I'm going to try to hit the podcast circuit and I really want to guest on a couple of influential podcasts in my niche. What are those podcasts, right? We know there are like hundreds or thousands of podcasts and <laughs> like this one. I'm um, one of them. And yeah. you want to make sure, yeah. <laughs> and you want to make sure you're on the right one, right? The, the, mm. And by right one, I mean like the one that reaches your target market, right? Mm. So those are all the things that audience research can help you do. Um, and maybe I'll kind of end with this thought on, you know, I have a, a good friend of mine. She recently started an e-commerce business and her background is very much not in marketing. She actually has a background more so in healthcare. And so she approached this as like, okay, I'm going to learn marketing. She took, a couple, she took a couple of like demand curve courses, I think a reforged course to understand how to think about a mar- how to think about marketing and how to be an entrepreneur. And she started to explore getting some research reports or market, re- market research reports. And then she also looked at a Spectora subscription. And mind you, she's a solopreneur, um, bootstrapped, and she bought a Sparktoro subscription. She didn't even tell me. She didn't even ask for a discount. She just went ahead and bought it. She was like, you know what? $50 a month? This is really, really inexpensive. She said, these market research reports cost a few thousand dollars. And I'd love to learn about those, but I'm nervous about spending like $1,000 or $2,000 on a report that I'm not really sure if I'll have the tools as to what to do next. She's like, I really like that with SparkToro, I can get a sense of, you know, what channels to start marketing to, which people to reach out to, to do some co-marketing with. And she was just like, I can't believe you only charge $50 a month for this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. I mean, um, like the one thing I think about often is that research will give you say the numbers um, they'll give you stats, right? Like the uh, like a number from a poll or a survey. They'll give you some sort of commentary around. Okay, here's the market opportunities, or here's the um, you know the list of things that you should probably be doing or recommendations. But uh, what's fascinating about SparkToro and what really catches my eye is that it's about audience context as a, a research product. So it's about not just about okay, you know, here are the top podcasts and say I don't know B two B marketing. Um, here are the top podcasts and here are um, all the other blogs and newsletters and all the other social accounts that um, the audience is also following. I mean, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me that across different platforms, like social platforms, also across different channels, like podcasting and email, um, that a lot of audiences tend to gravitate, like the center of gravity goes to a certain grouping of 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 people say like you know um in say in the martech world right you've got uh, people like scott brinker who's do does the martech landscape then you've got someone like friends um Riesma, who does um Remusma, sorry who does um a lot of the deeper sort of what goes into business research um and uh content marketing as well over in europe you know different countries they use very different channels um, but there's a center of gravity around that certain group of people, you know, and you wouldn't actually know that until you're in the industry for many years and um, building relationships and understanding who's talking about what and who's following who, right? 
but that's like street knowledge, you know, in marketing, you know, um, and you don't get a lot of that. You can't get that very quickly. It takes a lot of time. And so, you know, SparkTor has got this like interesting, like uh, context ability to go, well, what are those center of gravities in different content niches and where can I sort of plan or put content in certain areas or strategic, create strategic alliances to make that work for my business because small small businesses often don't even have huge marketing budgets. I mean, in tech, you know, if you're a bootstrap founder, say, you know, you're two, three years in, you're probably dealing with maybe a hundred K in marketing budget for the year. That's not a lot when it comes to paid ads, when it comes to partnerships and it comes to events as well. So I think it's, it's fascinating. I mean, have you got any stories from yourself and like perhaps how you guys use SparkToro to market SparkToro? Is this stuff that you guys actually look at for the sake of <laughs> SparkToro's content marketing? Sure. I mean, we, we do look at things like which podcast should we consider going on? You know, which social accounts should we keep an eye on? Uh, we, what, we really, what we really like to check on too is rising and falling trends which is what people can do now with our feature called audience tracking, where you can see how the behaviors or demographics of a given audience changes over time. So you start to see things like, oh, more and more people or, you know, 20% of this audience is now engaging with the topic of chat GPT, right? Like stuff like that, where you could understand like, oh, okay, these things are becoming top of mind for this audience. Um, So that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see see here a little bit in terms of um, that the what people are starting to talk about, and so I catch that trend yeah. in terms of newsworthiness and, and content. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we do, we do you know we, we do look at that. We have customers who look at that. Um, maybe one of our last case studies, we saw that um, we saw that you know um, you know the, the content marketing agency Foundation Inc. Um, they create content for people, distribute it. They even do social media content. Um, they also just kind of do digital marketing for their clients. And for one client who works in the IT infrastructure space, they were able to see um, just by finding opportunities through SparkToro, by looking at some of the influential social accounts in that niche, and then going through those social accounts and looking at who has a newsletter, like who has a Substack. And putting together this list, they they were able to uncover some really good arbitrage opportunities where they're able to say like, hey, this is a a really defined niche. And we found this handful or however many newsletter writers, if you're comfortable spending some budget on this, we can do some ad placements for you and get you in front of this, your core audience. You won't have to do any Facebook ads for this. And they're able to just kind of do the math on this. And based on impressions, we're able to see that they were able to just get better, like more efficient spend while maximizing impressions compared to if they just tried to do the retargeting through Facebook. That's fascinating. So that's looking like, and that's the great bit about SparkToro is it helps enable strategy, right? You know, it's not very strategic just to run Facebook retargeting ads. You know, but right. it is very strategic to go, well, who's the influential um, content creators or who's the influential people that we can leverage, right? That takes a strategic yeah. mind, you know, and I can Absolutely. imagine you're probably <laughs> attracting those people who are perhaps more strategically minded around community, around context and around, um, you know, different um, content preferences, and interests, interests for audiences, right? Like not every marketer is like that, unfortunately, Amanda. <laughs> not everyone mm-hmm. thinks as strategically as like that. Because I right. imagine that, well, would foundation, be, that would be yeah. your Foundation yeah. Inc. is yeah. great, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I, yeah. mean, I will say that, like, yeah. I mean, that's really the core of it, right? That That's the value prop. It's you get to be a lot more strategic. You get to take bigger swings that are, you know, smarter, more calculated. 
And this is kind of, this is basically what we mean with our sort of, I'll just say it, our sort of anti-big tech stance, Mm. right? Like in this kind of setting, right? We're in this kind of example where you're, you're seeing the data behind, oh, these are the influential social accounts as defined by reach, as defined by percentage of audience who follows them, as defined by, look, they have a Substack that has, you know, 15,000 subscribers. That's not nothing, right? You, you see all these things. And that's something that Facebook can't or won't tell you. And when you're able to just go you get behind some of this and reach out to some of these creators, sponsor them, everybody wins, right? You're, you're, you're reaching your target audience. Um, you're using your ad spend. They get, these creators get to benefit from that, right? Like a creator who works really hard in their weekly newsletter and they can secure like a thousand dollars for that placement or, you know, however much it is, I don't know. Um, that's a huge win for them, right? It, it's good for everybody. So we say this because, and I, I mean, I, I say this because I want to call out that when you use a tool like SparkToro, you're, it's sort of this rising tide lifts all boats. You know, there's more opportunity for everybody. You're creating more opportunity for everybody. You are making your marketing spend, your marketing decisions a lot more economical and everybody wins. Mm. Well, it's, it's, it's everyone wins, right? Everyone gets to win. So it, it creates more, say, I don't know if the right word here is a quality, right? A quality around opportunity, right? It's less winner take all and more um, you win, I win out of new opportunities to do marketing strategy and partnerships. But the other angle on this is that it also facilitates relationships. You know, those content partnerships that arise or those influencer placements, say, of a paid ad in a newsletter, that it doesn't just stop at that one opportunity. You know, those relationships can turn into conferences, can turn into massive sort of content projects. It can turn into new entrepreneurial opportunities for small businesses. And so it's not just the content side, but I would actually say that there's an angle on this, which actually facilitates relationship. If I go into SparkToro and I can start to see, okay, for the MarTech Weekly, as an example, I go, who's the influential newsletters that are talking about both marketing and technology? Guess what? I'm going to go out to them and say, can we partner? Can we do some sponsored content together? Can we perhaps do an event? You know, but that relationship may actually turn into, hey, let's invest in a company together. Or how about I acquire you or you acquire me? And so I can imagine like perhaps over time with SparkToro, you're seeing more downstream impact as those as uh, marketers have found those relationships or those partners, and then they've really doubled down on those as well. And I think that's a missed bit here is that long-term relationship aspect. But did you have any comments on that or thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think I think the relationship building aspect is big. You know, it could also lead to better, bigger, more different kinds of co-marketing opportunities in the future. And is just overall better for your, you know, for your audience building. Yeah, yeah. It's great for your marketing. It's great for your audiences as well. But, you know, like I, so often I say to myself, I wish I had a list of people that are talking about the same topics that I could just reach out to and start building relationships with, right? Because for small businesses, relationships are everything and building community around something. Like, for example, there's a fantastic group in the West Coast of the US called marketingops.com. And it's a community-based company and they do courses, they do training, they do also like job placements as well and mentoring for people in marketing operations. And you know, what's fascinating, Amanda, is that I met them, had them on a Making Sense of MarTech podcast because of course they're a marketing ops. 
And then I did a bunch of work with them as well. I went over and I did a, a keynote in one of their events. I We did some promotional content together. We did a whole bunch of other things. And I had no idea how much my audience at the MarTech Weekly would resonate with the marketing ops community. I had no idea until I actually explore that relationship. So it's it's like the light bulb moment can happen often. It's like, oh, we're going to take a risk with maybe a new group or a new, say, a, an angle, a new angle on a certain niche, but then it can really pay off, you know? And so it's fascinating. I mean, audience context as a concept is probably maybe more helpful than the concept of research, right? Because research just gives you numbers, but what SparkToro perhaps does is enables relationships and that network effect of the right partners to do the right content with as well. It's fascinating. But I do want to talk about the company a little bit in terms of how you guys work because you launched in 2018 you've driven a lot of awareness around the product. Obviously, you're in the VP role marketing, driving that growth and awareness, but you're still a team of three, which kind of... I'm trying to figure out, I can't understand how you guys can do so much and release so many interesting features over time and do a lot of really great content marketing yourself. And there's only three of you. Like, is there like three Amandas that we don't know about? Or <laughs> well, how do you actually manage all of that growth? And and, uh, and how do you guys work as a team and sustain it with only a few of you? Yeah. I mean, it really is just the three of us. I mean, I suppose I should say that we're all pretty seasoned in our careers, right? So us as a team of three, might be more like the equivalent of a team of 10 um, across, a, if you compare us to the average size marketing team, right? In terms of our output, what we can do and our capabilities. Um, so yeah, and I, I mean, I would say that we, how do we balance things? We we just try to, we do more with less, right? Like everything that we do, we try to make sure as multiple use cases, even as we're doing this interview, as we're talking, I'm thinking about, okay, what can I take from this and turn into a blog post, right? Like how can I make the most of this opportunity? And hopefully if I can write a good blog post sort of inspired by this session, then I can plug this podcast with it. And so I, that's sort of how I think. I, I I tend to think about like, how can I do do this one thing, but use it to power this other thing and maybe inform a third thing in the future, right? So we're always thinking about how we can create sort of every opportunity into a flywheel of sorts. Do you guys do a lot of documentation? I mean, in terms of how you guys do product or decisions and do you guys work asynchronously a lot or is it, or are you guys very meeting focused? Like what is sort of the operating uh, rhythm look we're like? Very, yeah. We're very asynchronous. Yeah, I mean, we don't have any regularly scheduled meetings if we have questions and we hop on a call, um, but we do a lot of, we're just, we do a lot of our work through email, right? Like through email. thoughtful wow. long emails. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll chat on Gchat, but chatting is more for chatting, right? Like, like we, mm. I might Gchat Rand and ask about what he's making for dinner. <laughs> I wouldn't email him that. <laughs> like, what are we eating tonight? <laughs> I might do um, that. Actually, I just realized email, something, Amanda. Yeah. Yeah, I just realized that Amanda's partner is also a food blogger. Is that right? Or like a like a, re a reviewer of, of restaurants? Is that right? Oh, you mean Rand's partner. Yeah, Rand's partner. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Rand's wife. Yeah, she's a James Beard award-winning writer. Yeah, she's a food that's writer. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's probably why you're asking what's for dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. I'm like, probably eating making... quite well. <laughs> yeah. Can you send pictures? I want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I need to get a recipe in my newsletter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, but it's fascinating. Yeah. 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 yeah like... So the, the email I'll say is yeah. it'll be like, you know, I'm we're working on a project. Like 
I'll send one later today about the landing page for Spark Together, our soon to be in-person conference. It's going to be sometime, sometime in July, we hope. And what I'm specking out is the new landing page for it. So I'll have new copy, have a couple of ideas for other things we should do moving forward. And this will go into a thoughtful email where hopefully, you know, it's like, hey, look at this over the next couple of business days. Let me know what you think. So that's kind of how we tend to operate. That's fascinating. So you don't run on Slack. You don't have a messaging tool. It's all email or say calls as well. That's, that's yeah, most pretty much like that's no really project management software. Yeah. Really? No. So you're yeah. not running like Asana or Monday there over there. So how, no. like, so what do you use for productivity measurement? I mean, that's like a lot of teams, like marketing teams would be like, well, that's scary, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they do have more stakeholders say, as you mentioned, like you guys are very seasoned. So you've got a lot of experience that you can basically go into the work pretty straightforwardly, but a lot of teams have junior staff that they're trying to manage as well. But that's fascinating that you don't actually spend any time in productivity tools. I mean, that to me, like really resonates because it it's probably a lot of stuff you don't need. That's Yeah, I think so. I think we have a yeah. lot of trust. That's definitely true. Mm. A lot of trust and also just we know enough about each other's jobs, like how it works, that we know how much work goes into things. So if I say that, oh, I'm working on the newsletter today, then, you know, Red and Casey will know that I'm probably spending a couple of hours like looking at looking for links to share, articles to share. I'm writing content so it's specific to it, and that you know I'm making making sure it's all packaged together nicely, and they'll be getting an email test later in the day. So those are just kind of the things that like they just know how it gets done, right? So there's no That's question nice. of like, is it going to take you two hours or three hours? We need to know. Like nobody cares about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's the fun thing, right? This is the really rewarding part of a career where there's a lot of trust, a lot of rapport, but also you, you know, obviously all of you are so experienced that you can just run, right? It's like the dream of being a marketer that there's no boss that's looking over your shoulder. There's no like multiple stakeholder reviews. I'm sure you've been in a few of those yourself where it's like, we got to review it with legal. We got to review it with this. We got to review it with that, you know? And it's just like, all of that is just, you know, un often it's like unnecessary process and unnecessary uh, steps just to do great marketing. You know, it's, it really speaks to like, moving quickly and moving with trust with a team is probably one of the most important factors in driving effective marketing. I mean, yeah. would you, would you say there's anything else there in terms of like what you've done with marketing for Spark Toro that's really led to the growth and the, um, the opportunities? Huh. Um, I mean, I will say that I, our virtual summit, uh, last fall, our spark together virtual summit, it, it went really, really well. Um, I mean, that was what I planned for, but, you know, for, for anything like this, like a big campaign, in this case, an event, you just, you never really know how it's going to go until it happens. Right. So like, I want to, I want to say like, on one hand, it was the reception about it was unexpected, but on the other hand, we planned it. Right. So there's a little bit of like, no, we, 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 this was deliberate. However, it's incredible when people love it, you know, so we had about 300 attendees, everyone bought tickets, people who bought tickets actually attended, People were very engaged in the live chat, loved the speakers. The speakers felt very supported, I think, by the audience. And we just had a lot of good feedback about it on social media and in the post-show survey. So all signs pointed to terrific feedback. People thought it was a terrific use of time. They would attend again. And that makes us very hopeful for the in-person event um, this year. 
Yeah, so there's planning. And it was also quite a like novel take as well, right? Like it was a, a virtual event that wasn't recorded. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. not recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Stories that you'll only hear once. That was it. So, yeah. I, you know, I think we rubbed some people the wrong way, right? Some people expected and hoped for the recordings. But we were like, no, the value prop is attending live. It's experiencing this live. Our speakers are going to be very candid and they're going to share numbers, stories, outcomes that they're not going to share anywhere else. And so the reason they're sharing it is because we're not recording it. So we're guaranteeing a certain level of transparency in this. And so that's what you're paying for. And so the people who would, you know, who bought and attended, they got it right. They're like, I understand why you did this now. Like, I think, I think there are probably some skeptics, right. But I think once it, once it all came together, they understood, they were like, I understand why you did this. This makes sense to me. I get why this couldn't be recorded. So mm, mm. it's all, all good marketing has a level of criticism attached yeah. to it. It always does. And you're probably in the heading in the right direction where I am I'm assuming that the feedback on that event specifically was like, why can't I watch this asynchronously? Why can't I just mm -hmm. consume the content in my own time? Right. Why do I have right. to be in front of a screen to access this stuff? And it was a paid event as well, wasn't it? So you, you would have yes. to be paying for it. So, you know, there's, uh, but that's great, right? Because it generates discussion, you know, and yeah. it generates feedback. It generates a whole bunch of interesting engagement, right? Like, right. you know, and attention. So I can, yeah, it's interesting. I think, that, you know, even what you said before is that it was an unexpected success, but you did plan for it, right? So there's a lot of that planning and being very meticulous. It, Spark Toro's team strikes me as very thoughtful people. They like to do a lot of research and thinking and reflection and, criti and criticize their own work as well in that how they approach the product and how they best support customers as well. It's it's fascinating. I've, obviously, I follow both you and Rand and a lot of your content is actually quite thoughtful. You know, it's different takes, new perspectives, a lot of novelty in the work. And that perhaps brings us to our next topic, which is all about Twitter and zero click content, which is, you could probably say it in the same way as, uh, you know, I know Amanda, oh, Amanda, zero click content, right? It's probably synonymous with your name at the moment, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. But I actually found you through a few viral tweets and I, you often get a lot of engagement on Twitter and you've got a very large Twitter following and, you know, you really strike me as somebody who's been able to really capture that marketing Twitter niche really well over the past few years. But I want to understand before we get to zero click content and what that is, and I'm packing it for our audience, I want to understand like, um, not like how you got into Twitter and how you grew your following. Like uh, there's great other great podcasts and blogs. You've really broken that down, which we'll drop in the show notes. But what I do want to know is like, how has it actually affected your career? I mean, you must get a lot of DMs. Like, how do you keep up with notifications? Like, has it led to new opportunities, which is you've had to say no to? Has it been good or bad? What's on the other side of, you know, growing a big Twitter following? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, mostly good, right? A lot, a lot of great opportunities are there um, that I've been able to go after that have kind of come my way. Um, and it was, you know, in in being focused on being being focused and deliberate on social media is what led me to my job at SparkToro, um, where as I was gaining, as I was raising my own profile in the niche of content marketing, then Rand Fishkin noticed me and we ended up becoming friends. So that definitely created, like I was able to create the opportunity at SparkToro just through this, right? Through being intentional about what I was posting online. And I'll say essentially treating my social media like my job resume, like a resume, right? Where 
Interesting. I say that because, and I think some people hear that and they go, no, I don't like that. That's scary. Like, why do I have to talk about work all the time? Um, I don't actually think that. I think, I think a lot of really good resumes do, I mean, yeah, it has, it has stuff about your, your expertise and your skills, but it also presents you as a whole person. Like, I think it's quite common for people to include their hobbies or their interests, nonprofits they care about in their resume. And so when I say treat your social media like a resume, I'm not saying only talk about work. I'm saying be the person that you are when you bring yourself to work. You know, you go to your break room, you're not only talking about your next marketing to do, right? Maybe you're mingling with coworkers, you're taking a break, like, like bring all of that. Yeah. to your social media. <laughs> so they don't have to be serious all the time. And then I'll also say like, you know, as a result of, so as a result of doing this, a lot of terrific opportunities have come, have come my way. And yeah, there also is just a lot to keep up with. So I'll say that at this point, I don't really keep up with the DMs as much like mm. uh, DMs slash cold messages, because I get it across multiple platforms and multiple emails. I mean, I probably get maybe a few hundred emails to maybe a few hundred or several dozen per day and all it's like net new stuff. Like I just can't see all of it. And so to some extent, I just kind of go, I, I'm not going to see all this. Sorry. hope they understand. And so I think that there's also the need to be very intentional about the things that I say yes and things I say no to. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe I'll wrap up with the thing that I appreciate most through this, like through the audience building, through getting able to take charge of my career is that, I now feel like I can finally be the person that I am like, you know, like before this, right. When I was regular tech corporate life, climbing the corporate ladder, I had to play the, (laughs) you know, I had to like play the game, right. There's a little Mm. bit of like, got to make sure that like Mm. I'm on my best behavior at this thing and got to make sure that I'm deferential to all the higher ups. And it's not to say that I'm not respectful to people now. Right. But I think, Mm. By nature, I am just a more casual person. I don't take myself too seriously. Um, I don't always like to talk about work constantly, right? Like I'm just, I'm not, I'm just not super serious, right? So Mm. I like that because I sort of have this established credibility, so to speak, I feel like that gives me more license to be myself. And Mm. I think that's debatable. I think somebody could be listening to this and say, no, you should just always be yourself. And why were you so uncomfortable before? I think for me, it was just, I, I have a, I I look younger than I am. And that has always been a challenge in corporate life where Mm -hmm. I could have been the most senior person in the room based on as defined by skills and expertise and knowledge but because I looked the youngest, I would get the least amount of respect in the room. And I would have to conduct myself differently. I had to dress differently. I'd have to use different language. I'd have to make sure that I was changing the inflection of my voice so that I wouldn't sound so young. Like all these things that I really had to think about before that now I don't think about because now I'm like, who cares? People know, some people know who I am or to some degree they do. And I can just be myself and it doesn't matter. And if someone doesn't like me, then they don't have to. That's fine. <laughs> then they also don't have to spend time with me. <laughs> that's that's fascinating, Amanda. And um, and thank you for sharing that because it's it's so important like for content creators to get outside of themselves a bit and um, to think about 
um, being like just being a person on social media, like social media, the important word is social, right? Like you're not there <laughs> to drive an audience. Like if you want to do content and only content and only business stuff and not be a person on social media, it's, you're going to find it's going to be a pretty hard time, right? Because people trust people, right? Like people trust Amanda and by extension, they trust Spark Toro because of all of the great life stuff you add into your, your feeds as well, right? You know, like you talk about your relationships, you talk about your family, you talk about your, like I'm just reading your Twitter thread at the moment about your reflections on 2023. A lot of that stuff has nothing to do with Spark Torah at all, but it has a lot to do with trust and being a genuine person that's trying to help others on social media or particularly other marketers become great at what they do. And so the amount of people, Amanda, that I've spoken to over the time, they're, and when they have one objection about doing, say, like B2B content themselves on, say, Twitter or LinkedIn or on TikTok, they say that they are frightened. They're frightened that they'll be added as a, an imposter or that someone would say that they're doing something dumb or wrong and or that they, you know, they say something and it detrimentally impacts their career. You know, last two years ago, I had this, this lady that commented on a post that I made. It was about a controversial MarTech topic. I won't get into that. But in that conversation, she commented and then she messaged me and she said, look, I didn't say the thing I felt I wanted to say because I'm a head of digital at an enterprise company. And if I said it, it would make my career much harder. But I totally agree with what you were saying. I just can't say it because it's too controversial. And that's exactly what you're getting at there, isn't it, Amanda? Like yeah. the the guarding of yourself and playing the, the political game with how you're trying to present yourself is actually probably not going to help you grow as a marketer. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, taking I think the risk so. of being yourself is far more important, but did you have any comments on that? Yeah. I mean, that's true. I mean, that, that's interesting because that was how I felt, yeah. you know, at traditional corporate life, but in, you know, having a more public persona or like doing the audience kind of building thing, I, I just still feel weird about saying audience building. I mean, I have realized too, like one, I do worry about the imposter syndrome stuff. I do worry yeah. about something I, I say getting taken out of context. People are saying, you know, people getting upset about it. But I also think maybe I am kind of an idiot. Are you talking about like <laughs> what if, what if you people worry about like getting out it as a an, as a moron? Like sometimes I am pretty stupid, right? <laughs> well, look, I think you know, I I I say some stupid stuff sometimes too, you know, and yeah. you know what? A lot of people do, right? Like right. <laughs> It's fine. And I think you know, I think that's like, a big part of it yeah. though. Like acknowledging that in yourself and being willing yeah. to admit when you're wrong. Where you're like, oh, that was yeah. ridiculous. Why did I think that? Why did I say that? Or glad somebody cleared that up for me. I think when you're kind of when you're willing to show that that willingness to learn or grow, people notice, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the right people notice, you know, there are yeah. a Twitter is is unfortunate because it has so many anonymous users. And so there's a lot of like abuse and, you know, there's a particular like from women, like from what I can see from my own research is that women really struggle on social networks because of that anonymous factor and a lot of the abuse, abuse that can happen. So it actually takes, I think, a lot of bravery for people like yourself, Amanda, to actually go out and really just be themselves and try and help people genuinely on social media. And it's probably led to your success in so many ways. And so I definitely applaud you, you know, like, you know, it's funny when you were talking, you said something I think was quite important where you said that, you know, building an audience building has helped you take control of your own career. You know, and I love that angle because for a lot of young people, 
their, the, the, who's controlling their career is probably the firm that they're working in. You know, they, the firm has got a career track for them, you know, from like junior to mid to say senior, then a manager, and then say maybe in the exec team. Right. So like a lot of, um, particularly with larger companies, they tend to take people in and then create their future of their like 20 years of their career for them, you know, but you've gone out and done something that's totally different, which is, no, I'm going to go out and build an audience, you know, and now you're doing courses and monetizing a bunch of different ways, but, you know, I'm going to go and build an audience so that um, I can build the career that I want, not the career that say my employer wanted for me, you know, and I think that's such a great inspiration for marketers to, to really follow, right. And actually take like, cause marketing is so entrepreneurial. So you can really take it and you take those creative ideas and the content and the media work, and you can take that and build the career that you want as well and um, help with that problem of imposter syndrome or being so guarded or um, so concerned about what others think as well. So it's very helpful. Thank you for sharing. But we want to, yeah, I want to touch on one topic, one more topic before we wrap up, but um, Spark Toro, um, I basically, we touched on this um, early in the conversation, but we talked about how Sparktoro's got this interesting angle on big tech. You know, I haven't really come across many B2B SaaS companies that have this really strong angle and skepticism um, around big tech, you know, around the power and the reach of these platforms, the, um, the inequality they create as well. Um, and also the effectiveness at times. I mean, you know, I've um, a run of Rand Fishkin's recent articles on the SparkToro blog was about attribution, you know, and how, you know, big tech often can't solve that problem of attribution. Uh, and now I found that actually really fascinating myself and my own thinking, you know, but here's a couple quotes. So Rand, you know, in the promotional video, you can go check it out on the SparkToro homepage. He says, uh, you know, I've spent my career taking the valuable data that big tech makes secret and making it available. And then he says at the end, um, while big tech companies are fortifying their walled gardens, which is a topic we cover quite a bit in TMW, um, SparkToro is building a big open park for everyone to share. You know, could you comment on SparkToro's um, approach to big tech or why that's important to have that sort of um, thinking or messaging within your own content as well? Yeah. So this also gets back to what I was saying earlier about making your marketing more efficient, economic, e economical, just healthier. It's... Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, you could theoretically reach your audience by spending all your money on Facebook ads and doing a bunch of retargeting. You could do that or marketing to, you know, lookalike audiences. You could do that. I'm sure there will be some success with it. A lot of people do it, right? But no marketer out there, no, not really. No marketer actually wants that to be the strategy, right? Like nobody wants that. What people, what any marketing team wants really, is to be recognized for the brand that they are, for being beloved in some way. Mm. Those are things that you can't really pay for, right? Like the things like Facebook ads, Twitter ads, Google ads, like those are just lovers you, you have to pull to make sure you get some amount of reach, right? Like I get, and I understand that that can be a necessary evil. And I understand that it's very effective, especially for certain types of industries, but when it comes down to it, all marketers want to have a direct connection to their audience, to their customer. And what we what we offer you at SparkToro is the data to help you do that, right? We 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 present to you, we give you the data, you know, on aggregate in a large sample size. Like, hey, if your audience or your potential audience of like twenty thousand people, we know that ten percent of them follow this social account. 
or that 20% of them listen to this podcast, right? And that that gives you a lot of information that, that helps you go beyond thinking of just maybe podcast ads. And so that could help you think about, well, maybe I should listen to these podcasts. Maybe I should follow these social accounts. Maybe I should read these websites or these publications. And then I'll better understand my customer. I'll understand better how to speak to them, right? Like how to kind of use their shared terminology, how to how to speak to their pain points better. And as a whole, this helps you become a better, more empathetic, more effective marketer. It's fascinating to me how we, I think we're in a really interesting um, paradigm shift now in digital marketing more broadly. Like we've had 10 years of like growth marketing, right? Like performance-based marketing, data-driven marketing, you know, which is, you know, let's run ads, say you're running e-commerce business. Let's run ads on Facebook and on Google and Instagram, you know, and we're going to run that because all, all marketing is, is an equation. Like it's an equation. Okay. How much do we need to spend to reach the X amount of people so that we can convert a percentage of those people so we can get a return on ad spend. Right. And that's what performance marketing agencies do. They say, Hey, this is just a big math equation marketing. You know, all you need to do is run the metrics, have compelling content and, you know, run it through social media ads and, or say, grow a big um, organic audience. Um, and that's all it is. It's about growth. It's about return on ad spend. It's about conversions. Right. But you mentioned, uh, and I think an important word there is, you know, are you creating a brand that's beloved? You know, I don't think performance agencies can really help you with that. I don't think big tech can really help you with that. I mean, sure, that's one part of the picture, but it goes back to what we we're talking before about strategy. You know, real marketing strategy is not just running ads. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Newsflash. It's not about running ads. It's actually about running great marketing and connecting with the right communities, with the right content to meet that right audience um, with a good offer and a great product. And so, you know, I think that's fascinating how you guys have been able to put a message around that. That's, uh, I think it's quite helpful. It's like, actually, you know, it's probably time to get off the, um, the treadmill in terms of paid ads and actually do something a bit more strategic, um, especially for the small and medium enterprise businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, Amanda, thank you for joining us. We've talked about recipes. We've talked about imposter syndrome. We've talked about so many great topics. Um, but I have one last question for you. Where can we find you on the web, um, on Twitter? And um, where? how can we connect with more of your content and uh, courses and other work? Yeah, so uh, all roads basically lead back to amandanet.com. That's where you can learn more about my newsletter, my Content Marketing 201 course. And you can also follow me on Twitter at amandanet. I'm also on LinkedIn and a Mastodon. And then, of course, please check out SparkToro, sparktoro.com. We have a ton of awesome content on our blog. We have these monthly or so office hour sessions where Rand and I take turns presenting on marketing strategy. Free events, totally come. We usually, we average at least 600 attendees. So join the party and keep an eye out for Spark Together this summer in Seattle. Oh, yes, there's a lot going on. Well, thank you for joining, Amanda. We regularly interview people who are featured all the time in the MarTech Weekly, people who are at the forefront of industry, building interesting tech, interesting products, and thinking in novel ways about the marketing technology industry. If you'd like to delve into the topics that the subscribers care about, if you'd like to read and subscribe, um, you can head to the martechweekly.com. But Amanda, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Juan.